0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the five things that Noah was doing before the flood, the three things that God was doing before the flood, and the two things the world was doing before the flood. Download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. And so he lifts it up and he looks inside and he wants to
1: see, what did we choose to put in that pot? that God was, and Noah was busy diligently seeking God. That's how can we found grace. I mean, a walk requires a steady pace. That's the key. Spiritually speaking, that is what we need.
0: Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in Genesis. You know, when you hike to a destination,
1: hiking oftentimes... You can't see your final destination, but you've got to keep walking. Our life is like that hike to heaven. Sometimes we're not going to see the final destination, maybe until just the last trek. When I think of pacing yourself in this walk, you know, I think back to my junior year of high school, 1964. That summer, my father, under the advice of the psychologist who felt that the problem with me is I didn't have clean air going into me, sent me to Colorado, a little town called Carbondale outside Aspen, Colorado, where a school had started called Colorado Rocky Mountain School, which was patterned after Outward Bound School, and I don't know why they made these places, but anyway, and so we trained there for the summer, and for 14 weeks, we hiked up different mountains in Colorado. I remember the first mountain that I hiked on and I was telling them that I couldn't hike down and they had to call a helicopter. My father would pay for it, I told them, and I was explaining to them this is no place for a Jewish boy from Beverly Hills to be. But we did get in shape eventually and we hiked to the top of Mount Castle. That was, that was our great thing. It was 14,250 feet and saw Robert Kennedy's signature on the top. Well, for a finale of the camp, we divided into two groups, about 75 boys and girls in one group and 75 in another group. And one group drove in the trucks to the Navajo Indian Reservation in the Glen Canyon Desert. I don't know if you know where this is. I never knew it before. But anyway, it's a place called Rainbow National Park. There was the Indian Reservation. This was the summer. It was very, very hot. And they were to leave their trucks at one point where the road stopped and hike through a canyon desert overnight, meet up with the other group that I was a part of in the middle of the canyon desert, and our group previously had started out four days earlier, rafting up the river. And afternoon of that night, we left our rafts there on the river shore and, and we started to hike through the canyon desert, see? And we were to meet them halfway. Okay? Well, that afternoon, like I say, we pulled our rafts up to the shore of the river and waited for the night to come, it was very hot, to start walking. And we were told, don't bring very much with you, don't weigh yourself down don't haul a whole lot of water with you so we started hiking and it was sand and we'd never hiked in sand before and with hiking boots on sand oh we started to get cramps and it was we weren't making very much progress and it was miserable it was terrible our guide was a swiss man his name was fritz (laughs) he had his trusty german shepherd dog called hannah and he would be yelling home to hannah home to hannah i don't even know what that means but that's what he did And so we were in this canyon desert, and all of a sudden, as we were going there, just really having a tough time of it, it was pitch black, because it was canyon, see, we were down in the canyons, and it was just pitch black, and some of us who had flashlights felt compelled to identify everybody who came along and shine the flashlight in your face, see, so immediately your eyes you know, go like this. So you're just about blind. You're blind all the time. You can't see anything. And there were paper signs for us telling us where to walk. And I remember we came to one sign, and Fritz looked at the sign, and he really didn't know, you know where to go. And, and so he made the wrong decision. And we ended up going way off into the left, and we should have gone right. And we were lost. We were lost. And when it got to about 11 a.m., it was 140 degrees in this canyon. And we drank drunk all our water because we were told, don't haul it. So there we were. We walked all day. And then it was known that we were lost and Civil Air Patrol planes were out looking for us. But they couldn't see us because we were down in the canyons. We saw them. And so we had to spend the night. That evening was so bad. One girl was part of our team. She fell and went into convulsions. So we thought she was going to die. It was just that bad. And thank God she didn't. But at that point, Fritz realized this is a very serious situation. And so before he went to sleep, he ordered us to divide into two groups. And the ones who didn't try to walk out were just to stay there. And the others were to give them whatever covering they had. And they were to hook up uh, shade tents. Shade tents and shield from the sun. And then a smaller group of 12 of us who wanted to try, we were to walk out. Well, I didn't want to sit there. So I said, okay, I'll walk out. So we were trying to get out. And so I remember Fritz sitting the 12 of us down before we started, and giving us instructions. And he told us that we were not to walk as a group, but that everyone had to choose his own walking pace. Everyone had to choose the pace that he could maintain. He said, we shouldn't try to keep up with somebody or to wait back for somebody else. Just walk alone and concentrate on your pace, and you'll discover what is the right pace for you to get out. And he cautioned us, don't go too fast, uh, just keep a pace. So I found my pace and started walking, and I you know, found myself alone, and I was walking, and I got to the place where the piece of paper was on the trail, and, but the place where it said to head was like right up a mountain. We were in a valley, so you've got to go right up a mountain. So I thought, okay, I can make that. So I got up to the top of the mountain. I expected to see the Navajo Indian Reservations buildings, but I got to the top of the mountain. I was so disappointed. All I saw was another valley and another mountain. <laughs> I thought, okay, I think I can do that. So I went down that valley and up that next hill. Same thing happened. No buildings, disappointment, another valley, another hill. Did that four times. And finally, when I reached the fourth hill, I saw the reservation buildings. I was so happy. I didn't even, that last walk was nothing. And later that day, they sent in a team of mules, and everyone uh, got out safe. And that night, we all watched Walter Cronkite report Uh, That, you know, a group of silly kids was lost and got found. (laughs) That's what it means to walk with God. That's what it means to walk with God. It's a test of endurance. It's not how you start that counts. It's how you finish. And the goal is to make it through and don't collapse along the way. And so choose a pace that's right. Not too slow, where we lose the challenge and become idle or let ungodly attractions draw us away and not too fast where we get exhausted and just give up because we've chosen too great of a goal you know don't start off a christian life and say well i'm gonna have three hours with the lord every day you probably will at the beginning that'd be great but you won't maintain it maybe start with 20 minutes and build up from there but we don't let ourselves become discouraged that's the key we just we can go from one hilltop to another hilltop and just keep on going because one of these days we're going to see heaven Noah was busy walking with God, number five. So, let's review them. Five things that Noah was busy doing before the flood. Number one, he was busy believing and seeking God. Number two, he was busy keeping himself unpolluted. Number three, he was busy being wholehearted. Number four, he was busy preaching. And number five, he was busy walking with God. Three things that God was doing before the flood, he was busy looking hard into the hearts of men. If there were any thoughts or imaginations toward repentance, he was busy creating a space for men to repent. He was busy waiting. He was busy being long-suffering. And number three, he was busy talking to Noah about preparing for salvation and persuading men to follow him to be saved. Two things the world was doing before the flood. They were busy becoming violent and making moral corruption a habit of life. And they were busy willfully, number two, becoming willfully ignorant or the new not generation. Now, when we look at verse 12 here and 13 of Genesis 6, it's very, very significant when it says, God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. In verse 13, it said that God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with virus. That's a very, very interesting word. Nothing terribly earth-shattering to reveal in the Hebrew there. It just means end. The end of all flesh is come before me. But the words are very important. The end. Because when it says the end, it's describing the end of a process. It's describing the end of stages in that process. That's what it's describing. I just can't help but look at that and think of cancer and how this really is a picture of sin. You know, as a company, we've worked in the cancer diagnostics for about 30 years, and Dr. Myoga, who you may have seen weeks ago, Dr. Kyumiyoga he was our former president before he retired to Scan bodies, Japan, and he actually was the inventor of the term tumor marker. You probably have all seen the term tumor marker. He invented it at a meeting in New York in 1982, where cancer specialists from all over the world came, and he was the only industrial representative working at that time for Abbott Laboratories, and he brought up the meeting. Why don't we call this tumor marker? And it stuck. Anybody know what today's date is? Today's date is, apart from the first day of Hanukkah. <laughs> today's date is December 9th. Okay, in case you didn't know. Well, that's an important date for me. Because December 9th is the anniversary date when cancer became personal for me, because that was the date. December 9th 2010 two years ago when I was told at Grossmont Hospital that my biopsy results for the tumor mass along the spine Were non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then they said and it is stage four Well when you look at the history of sin in the Bible from where we are now and the progression of cancer there's similarities stage one is a cancer that is relatively small, it's confined to the organ that it started in, and even though the cells are growing out of control, they still maintain, when you look at them histologically under the microscope, with a level of differentiation that you know. lung cancer cells in stage one look like lung cells, mammary gland cells in stage one cancer look like mammary gland cells. Pastor Jim had stage one salivary cancer, Anyways, in Genesis 4-8, when Cain killed Abel, relatively speaking, Cain was a minority, and he still talked with God. He had that conversation with God. But spiritually speaking, that was like a stage one cancer as far as the earth is concerned. Then in stage two, cancer is now larger in size. It's not spread to surrounding tissues, except it may be in some lymph glands close to the cancer. So Katie Smith had stage 2 breast cancer. She had it spread into the lymph in her, under her arm. In Genesis 4.23, we see Lamech now with a group around him, and they've all come around him, and he's bragging that he is more of a murderer than Cain. That'd be like stage 2 cancer. In stage 3 cancer, cancer now is much larger. It's lost much of its differentiation of being like lung cells. They don't look like lung cells anymore, for example. And it has spread extensively into the lymph system, to lymph glands. Ed Halderman had stage 3 cancer. In Genesis 6.3, where we read that God had been striving with man, where there are now, we get the picture, there are now many who have cast off God. So spiritually speaking, the world was at stage three cancer. And at stage four cancer, cancer has now become metastatic. Metastatic meaning that it's now spread to another organ other than where it started. That was my case. And I had stage four cancer because it didn't start in my spine. It started in my bone marrow and it was also in the spleen. And in Genesis six twelve, when God said all flesh had corrupted his way, and in verse 13, that the end of all flesh has come before me, spiritually speaking, that was like the world was in stage four cancer. Okay, that's as far as we'll go this morning. Next study, we're going to look at the covenant that God made with Noah. Noah's building the ark and Noah's coming into the ark. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being, Lord, to the world and to us, for the one who we love to call you, the God of all grace, the God of all hope, the God of all grace, the God of all mercy, the God that's rich in mercy. Lord, all these terms we love to call you because we know they're true and we're counting on it. Lord, help us to be like Noah, Lord, in walking with you, and not being polluted by the world lord and being wholehearted for god and believing you and seeking you and preaching help us to be like this we pray in jesus name amen
0: tom today you talked about your experience with cancer as a patient and also from the perspective of being a scientist but As a Bible teacher, how is sin like cancer?
1: Well, I'm so glad you asked this question because... When you go through cancer, you that's like nothing else that you'd ever done before. It's really something. And there's a lot of analogies there with sin and cancer. First thing you learn is that with cancer, when you look back on it, you have these symptoms. In my cases, it was the night sweats and these are the symptoms of lymphoma. And, um, you know, it, it, I wished I did have the symptom of an unexpected weight loss, but I didn't. But anyway, you have these symptoms that come up and, you know, sometimes it's it's uh, it's um, sore lymph nodes. And of course, you know, the first thing you do when you say that, no, nah, no, nah, I don't take the, no, nah, no, nah, it's just a warm night, I don't take it seriously. You have to take the symptoms seriously. And with sin, you have to take the symptoms seriously. Proverbs 16, 7 gives you a symptom. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Reverse it. When a man's ways don't please the Lord, everybody is at turmoil with Him. That's a symptom. Something may be wrong. In Psalm 51, 12, David gave a symptom when he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When we no longer have joy of our salvation, when when the Bible's like dust, when church is the most boring thing in the world, when there's no real joy of salvation, that's a symptom to take seriously. When Psalm 51, 7, when David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why? Because he felt defiled within, because he had a bad conscience, because he felt dirty within. That's a symptom that has to be taken seriously. Next thing about cancer, you need to be evaluated by an expert. You can't sit there and say to yourself, "I uh, now I'm going to figure out if I have cancer or not. No, you have to go and you have to get the biopsy. You have to go get the blood test. You have to go, in my case, as in my case, the MRI or the cancer scan or the PET scan, you've got to be evaluated. That's the diagnostic. That's the imaging phase. In our cancer clinic, we put in a very, very good MRI with a two and a half foot bore and the ingenious 1.5, which is doesn't even t- need to have contrast because you have to be evaluated for it With the imaging. We develop diagnostic tests for for measuring tumor markers. Why? This is being evaluated by an expert. What is our evaluation? Who's our expert? What's the expert way in which we're evaluated for whether or not we have sin in our life? The Word of God, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thought and the intents of the heart. The word of God, you can't get a better MRI, cat scan, pet scan tumor marker test, biopsy, then the word of God for sin. Number four, the next item is that you need to listen to the expert when the expert sits down. And I remember when the doctor said to me the big word cancer, you have to listen to him. And this is so important also with sin. In Psalm 119, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed? there too according to thy word. It's not just good enough to 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 be exposed to the, what the expert says. You have to listen to it. It's not just good enough to be exposed to the Bible. You have to take heed according to the word. Why? Because it's a disaster if you go and get the evaluation, you got the imaging, you got the tumor marker, you got the biopsy, you got the expert sitting here down telling you you have cancer, but you don't do anything about it, that's like like you've, you've listened to the Word of God, the Word of God's so you have sin, and you don't do anything about it, that leads to Proverbs nine nine. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And the whole issue with cancer is remedy. And the whole issue with sin is remedy. Next, you have to accept what the expert says and God says in Jeremiah 3, 13, Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and has scattered thy ways to the strangers, etc. In other words, we have to accept it when says when God says there is sin in my life. When the doctor says there's cancer in my body. When God says there is sin in my life, I accept it. I acknowledge uh, as he says in Jeremiah 3.13, my iniquity that I've transgressed against the Lord. Then... As with cancer, we need the expert's recommendation for therapy. When I got the cancer, all of the recommendations I got, I got to go to this Amish uh, health food store, spend the $2,000 for this and that and the other, and then I should get this prayer shawl and sleep with the prayer shawl, then I should have the special anointing oil, and then I should, or at, at Mayo Clinic, I should get the injection into my spinal column of the very serious poison because it might go to my brain, and then in the, the national cancer Institute and a lot of recommendations, but... We have the expert recommendation when it comes to sin, and that's given to us in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, All scripture is given by inspiration for go- from of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That shows you what is right. For reproof, that shows you what's not right in your life. For correction, that shows you how to get right with uh, how to get right or correct, and for instruction and in righteousness, that shows you how to stay right. Next, you have to commit yourself to the therapy plan. You can't start and and you, you've got and then and without a, a wholehearted commitment, you got to commit. And as with sin, in First John one nine through ten, we commit to the therapy plan, which is confession to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So it's very important to commit to this therapy plan next, it's not going to be easy. And oh, it was not easy for me. That was six months where I thought I was going to die on that chemo. First, the radiation of the spine, then the chemo. But you have to commit. You cannot turn back. You cannot stop. You've got to go forward you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to expect the remedy. And so that's the same way with sin. In Hebrews ten thirty-eight through through 39, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. And that's the tragedy of drawing back with regard to sin. It is never a drawback unto comfort. It is never a drawback unto a better life. It is always a drawback unto perdition. But we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So in other words, just as with cancer, we we don't start a therapy plan to quit early. So it is with the life with the Lord Jesus Christ. We live by faith. We do not draw back because we understand that to draw back is to make God angry. My soul shall have no pleasure in him. And it is a drawing back unto perdition. And then You know, I went into remission in uh, in uh, June of 2011, and so you know, one thing I could do is could have done is walk away and says, "Well, cancer-free, done with cancer, never going to see cancer again. Goodbye, cancer. I'm not even going to get checkups. I don't need to. I'm healed. I'm done." But. I read all of the, the, and I understood that with lymphoma, there is no cure. There is a management of the cancer. And so I committed myself to regular checkups, regular examinations. What does it mean? At least once a year I get a PET scan, Some several times a year I get MRIs, and constantly checking, constantly looking, because I realize it came once, it can come back. And the same way with us, God says that what we need to do, and the Word of God says in Psalm 26 to examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. This word, examine me, this is similar to to the regular examinations, recognizing that sin can come back at any time and that we need to be Constantly examining ourselves, so it's what Paul said. He said, actually, that before you go to the communion, he said, let a man examine himself. And so it's very important that we take the close look that we ask God to examine us. Examine me, O Lord, and ask Him in His in His great care. No one cares for us more than God does to put His finger on the sin that we might be hiding in our heart if i regard iniquity in my heart if i hide it away if i put it in the secret room if i lock the door to that room if i put a door if i put a sign on that door that says no entrance we say to god god go in examine me and, and and try me and prove me and see if there's sin in me and then we have to be ready to treat again on recurrence that's very important that we commit in order to go through the treatment again. When cancer comes back, we have committed before it's come back that we're going to go through the treatment again so that we can stamp it out again on recurrence. The same is true with sin. That we we may have had victory over sin. We may have had the Lord cleanse us of our sins, but we always have to be ready to treat it again upon recurrence. That's given to us in 1 Corinthians, Ten, twelve, where we read wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall when we think we stand then we're in the greatest danger of falling when we think that we we'll are never get cancer again then we're in a great danger and these are the analogies
0: with cancer and sin thank you for joining us today Now, would you like to help a lost Jewish person be able to overcome the sin cancer of not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Tom Cantor's got the chemotherapy cure that will help them. It's his testimony for a lost Jewish person on DVD and in a booklet form that you can give to them so that they can know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and have forgiveness of sins. So we've got this free gift for you for a lost Jewish person. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. Call us to get this gift for lost Jewish people, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org and fill out our online form. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, one 247 3051